Today's program is part of a special series brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership with funding provided by ACES Aware. Together, we are working to raise awareness about the effects of adverse childhood experiences in hopes of building a healthier community and a brighter future for our children. Dr. B explains the importance of acknowledging our stressors of the past in order to thrive in the present. Plus, she shares practical tips for coping through challenging times and building greater resiliency so you and your family can enjoy healthier and more fulfilling life. Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. All right, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about stopping the cycle of intergenerational trauma. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you want to know more about me, go to my website at www.drbconnections.com. Now let's get started. Happy New Year. Happy 2021. I cannot believe it is finally here, but we have so many things to look forward to this year. It's been quite a chaotic 2020 for sure and lots of challenges that we've faced, but hopefully, hopefully we are moving into a new a new place with some optimism around vaccines and therapeutics and finding new ways to do things that we've done differently before in our lives and succeeding. So challenging, heartbreaking at times, but we're going to get through this together. So I hope that you find delusional optimism to be inspirational educational, and relational. That's my goal. I want you to reach out to me, talk to me, connect with me in 2021, and I hope that the information that you glean from this show is inspiring and helps you learn more about yourself and your family and your life. So let's get started. Stopping the cycle. Stopping the cycle of intergenerational trauma. That's what we're talking about today. So Remember, if we expect to reduce trauma by 50% over one generation, we have to focus on stopping the transmission of the trauma from one generation to the next. We need to do this in a concerted way that includes mental health and physical health. One in seven children experience abuse or neglect in this past year alone. And that's probably underreported. Most reported numbers like that are underreported. One in 50 were infants. Let that sink in. One third of the infants abused in 2020 were less than two weeks old. How does this happen? 
Well, it happens because we don't talk about it in meaningful ways. And we have systems in place that are punitive rather than reparative. And I'm not saying all the systems in place are punitive and not reparative, but so many of the institutional systems run on a punitive model rather than a reparative model or a restoration model for families. If we don't talk about and resolve emotional conflicts from the past or trauma, you'll likely repeat some of those conflicts with your own children and family as you go forward. If we don't talk about our own conflicted relationships from the past, these are called ghosts, then they go unresolved and we repeat the same patterns with our own children and invite the same kinds of trauma into our own families. What the heck does that mean? Let's get personal for a minute. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. One is called the ham story. And it's about a family that every Christmas they had, they all got together for a big holiday meal and they baked a ham for dinner. And so, but one of the things that they always did was they cut off the the butt end of the ham, if you've ever cooked a ham, four inches. Like this is the rule of the family. You have to cut four inches off the butt of the ham. And there were different reasons like people gave for doing this. You know, oh, it made the ham juicier. It made for soup later. It, it really didn't matter what the truth was because... They did this year after year, generation after generation. The person who started this tradition was long past. And finally, somebody asked in the family, you know, why do we cut four inches off the ham? And lo and behold, the answer was because the pan that great, great, great granny had to bake the ham in wouldn't fit a whole ham. So they always had to cut four inches off so it would fit in the pan and then fit in the oven. So all these stories that came with the, this this tradition were really based on just an, a real practicality of cooking. So what does this teach us? It teaches us that the truth doesn't really matter because the brain will make up anything that makes sense based on the information that's available. So great, great, great granny said, you know, you have to cut four inches off the ham. Like this is the rule in the family. So everybody does it. They continue to do it. Even though they have bigger pans, they have bigger ovens, they have bigger, you know, no purpose in doing that anymore. They continue to do it because nobody stopped to ask, hey, why did why did she do that in the first place? So It's the passing down of these kinds of thoughts, behaviors, feelings, unspoken conversations, fears, and ways of being to the next generation without consciously understanding why that leads to transmission of intergenerational trauma. So that's what we're going to really talk about today. That's called intergenerational transmission, and it includes sort of these ritual things that we do that, you know, it's fine. Doesn't matter if you cut off four inches of a ham, no big deal. 
But if you're passing on a different kind of a trauma, then it probably does impact people's lives. So now I want to talk about ghosts versus trauma, real trauma, because they're both really important to understanding the transmission and the passing down, you know, keeping the cycle of trauma going in a family. So stopping the cycle starts with understanding the difference between ghosts from the past versus real adverse childhood experiences in the present, or aka also known as trauma. So I'm going to share a personal story. This is a really personal story for me. So my mom's mom died before my mom's second birthday. So that's a huge trauma. Like that's, that's, that's a significant trauma. And so it's an adverse childhood experience. She was born in 1939. Her mom died before 1941. So there wasn't much support available for a a poor family in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She was the 13th living child and the youngest. So the last born, obviously, before her mom died. My mom suffered from the loss of this relationship early, early in her life, pre-verbally. People often don't think about the remnants of that kind of trauma and how it gets passed on to the next generation. This is what we call ghosts from the nursery or ghosts from childhood. There's no way to understand the loss of a parent in infancy or early childhood. It's it's a devastating loss. So what does a baby do? A baby makes sense out of that experience somatically, which means in our body, like a feeling in our body, whether it's a tummy ache or a headache or a pain, and emotionally. Let's jump forward to the next generation. That's me. So I was raised by a mom who lost her mom as a baby. That's not a trauma for me. That's not a trauma. I had a mom. I still have a mom. She's still living. For me, that's a ghost. That's a from the very beginning of my life and the life of my siblings, we were raised by a mom who didn't have a mom relationship. So, this is at the heart of how generational trauma works. It's about the remnants of the past that impact the relationships in the present. I want to be as honest as possible with my work. And as we jump into 2021, this is more important to me than ever because we are really facing our mortality as a culture, as a country, and I think it's so important that we are honest and loving towards each other so we can all heal. It's no accident that I'm in the field of trauma and resilience because I'm living out the remnants of my family history. But I've also healed from that history and changed the trajectory of my own family. Now, I don't want to give you the impression that I don't love my parents. I love, love, love my parents. And I have been sad probably my whole life 
about my mom losing her mom as a child because my whole life I've spent thinking about how devastating it would have been for me to lose my mom. So that's how we under, that's a remnant and it's sort of like this lingering fear. And my dad did pass 19 years ago and he had his own history, trauma history that, you know, cycled through. And I'm not going to go into that right now, but he was a, he is, I don't even say was because I still talk to him. He's a wonderful human being and I love him to death. But he definitely had ghosts from the nursery as well as remnants from his own past. So I want to move forward and talk about having conversations about difficult things. It's hard. It's scary. We feel like we might lose a relationship of a person we love or we might make somebody mad or uncomfortable And that can be pretty terrifying, especially if we don't have good models for communication. So if you're a child, so let's look through the lens of a little for a minute. You probably just believe that whatever's going wrong in your family is your fault because children are egocentric and that's what they think. They think, oh my gosh, my dad left. It's my fault if I had been better than he wouldn't have left or my mom died. So then a child can grow up thinking, oh, you know, I should never have been born because my mom died because of me being born. This is how children, if nobody talks to them, think about adverse childhood experiences or events in their lives when they don't have a guide to help scaffold and think things through with them in a more reasonable way. Now, back that up even further, if we're talking about infants who are pre-verbal, which means they're, they don't have language yet, so they can't talk about their feelings because they don't have words, they only feel their feelings. You only experience the feelings that come with trauma, but you can't put those feelings into words. So imagining the death of a parent would be terrifying and confusing and devastating, but you have none of those words. So they're only feelings. Those are only things that your body feels. So think about how your body feels when you're terrified or devastated, but now you're an infant. I will always say this, and I'm going to say it right now, that if you know of a baby or if you have a baby and they're experiencing something that's so, so, so scary or sad or happy even, it can, it can be any part of the spectrum of feelings. It's so important to hold and love that baby and say, I know you're feeling so scared right now, or this must be terrifying for you, but I'm here with you. That is such a resilience builder for babies, putting language to the feelings when they can't. So remember, the brain is in service of survival. It's also in service of connection. Even if the person that we want to connect with threatens our survival. All right, let that sink in for a second. Because remember, the most likely time for a child to actually die is in the first five years of life. The most likely way for a child to die in the first five years of life is at the hands of the parents or caregivers. 
That's pretty astounding information. And we really need to tackle that as a culture and a country. Connection. Children who are abused still feel connected to their abusers, their parents, if it's a parent. This makes things really confusing as an adult and almost impossible to figure out as a child or an infant. So Selma Freiberg, who the heck is that? She is the mother of parent-infant mental health. So she's another one of my kind of shiro people in the world, like Emmy Werner, the mother of resilience, Selma Freiberg, the mother of parent-infant mental health. There's two fundamental concepts that we have to be aware of when we're talking about intergenerational trauma. And the first one is trauma is an external event that causes unimaginable fear, unimaginable harm, emotional or physical. So a trauma is an actual event that happens. And then the second thing is that ghosts exist. Not ghost in the spirit realm of like spirits of dead people, but a ghost is an unresolved conflict in an early relationship. And so then that becomes the ghost that we carry with us. So here's another story. Development prevents us from understanding a lot of things in childhood. We all go through ages and stages And our experiences and relationships help us create a narrative about our lives and the truth about the world. These stories can be accurate, and sometimes they're totally not accurate. It all depends on the help of our guides. So we call these ghosts or internal representations of our relationships. So that's what a ghost is. It's an internal representation of a relationship. Let's take an infant that witnesses a domestic violence rage between parents. Infants alone, but not physically harmed in any way. Hearing this happen, though, is terrifying and causes a flood of feelings in the baby. Fear, anxiety, helplessness, panic, sad. All of these feelings are just rushing through a baby while this is happening, and they have no words for it. So remember, the brain wires where the brain fires. If this kind of violent event occurs repeatedly, then the baby will create a ghost, an internal story about what this means. It doesn't matter if the story is true or not. It's the child's perception of the events of of their life. Teacher calls parent, says son is acting out at school and beating up another child when he gets angry. Children are still learning how to manage their impulses and control their behavior. But when this little boy gets upset or angry, what does he do? He swings. He shifts to violence. So the internal messaging for this little boy could be an example of, quote, My mom, no one can protect me, and I need to be strong, loud, and overpowering to be safe. So when we see this little boy at school who beats up other children, gets angry very quickly, has difficulty managing impulsive behaviors, we can say to ourselves as a teacher or an administrator or another parent or person, huh, 
I wonder if this little boy is saying inside his mind, nobody protects me, so I need to be strong, loud, and overpowering to be safe. Think about it. Think about the things that you needed to say to yourself about your life in order to keep you safe and protected. So in this situation, mom thinks that the little boy has no recollection of the fighting or the domestic violence. She believes that she protected this little boy. We rarely say out loud to babies what we want them to know. And even less often do we ask children to tell us what we need to do to make them feel safe or what we do that makes them feel vulnerable. Either one, just asking questions of littles is so important. It all seems too soft, but it's not. I know there's people who are going to say, you know, like, oh my gosh, this is so, you know, we're overthinking every step of our emotional lives. But the truth is that we really need to overthink it a little bit so we can make some changes for the better. It's what we have to do to change our world into a place that's safer for our littles. Remember, we are currently living in a world where children who die before the age of five mostly are dying at the hands of their parent or caregiver. That's why we're having this conversation. When we make the world a safe place for babies and young children, we make the world safe for ourselves and everyone else. So we're, we're building a new system. I don't mean by taking children from parents. I mean by supporting parents through the process of healing and through healthy developmental parenting. People aren't taught how to do developmental parenting. People aren't given the resources in order to heal from their own trauma. So that it just gets carried on from one generation to the next. We can't just take the babies because that really does create a trauma. And then the cycle just continues. Let's talk about how in the world this could be resilient or optimistic. So here's where my optimism comes into play. We can do this. We don't all have the same experiences, but we do have a body of research about human development and neurobiology to draw upon. We can have difficult conversations with each other about trauma and about ghosts so we can bridge the gaps between historical and racial injustice. Like, let's think about this in terms of racial injustice and racism, you know, the the traumas versus the ghosts. So again, when you when you start to think through the lens of ghosts versus aces, adverse childhood experiences are things that happen directly to a person. Those things then impact the relationships with the next generation. Those are the ghosts. And we have lots of ghosts as well as aces in relation to racism and racial injustice in our country. It's incredible to me how parent-infant mental health applies to any relationship that began unequally. The conversations we need to have with children to begin the cycle of healing are the same conversations we need to have between the black 
and brown and white communities and any other marginalized group from dominant culture. It comes from the inequity of power that this work becomes so, so meaningful. It's the imbalance of power and lack of accessibility to information and resources that perpetuate the ongoing trauma. We need to find common ground and address these difficult conversations from the past. Then we can find ways to heal and to move forward. Pretending that they didn't happen, they don't exist or we're over it is never going to be the answer. It's so much better to look at what happened, feel those feelings, and then move forward together with a plan. We have to have difficult conversations moving forward. The world is unfair. It's unjust. We have to right the wrongs in order to move forward. The only way to do that is by having respectful, reciprocal conversations and potentially paying restitution for harm. And when I say that, you know, again, I'm sure there will be people who are like, oh my gosh, you know, paying restitution. But I, I have some feelings about that in a lot of situations, that there's there are a lot of situations that we need to make restitution in, whether that's a financial payment in restitution or some other way. But I feel like children who suffer in foster care also deserve some restitution for their suffering that was ill-managed. We have lots of ways that people balance things out after something bad happens. So we need to think about how do these things apply in, in situations of injustice. This is how we start to build our community resources, our education, criminal justice system, policing, and our entire lives around resilience building and protective buffers and protective factors. So intergenerational trauma and stopping the cycle of intergenerational transmission really comes down to understanding the difference between a ghost and a trauma. They're both very important to understand, but they are different. A trauma happens to you physically, directly to your body and your mind, where a ghost is a remnant of a conflicted relationship from the past that has to be resolved in the present in order to move forward in a healthy way. And I often say, and I feel this way about my own life and self, is that I made a really conscious decision to do certain things very differently in my life, raising my children. And so they probably think, oh my gosh, you know, my mom is so cuckoo about, you know, over telling us information, but it's because I don't want any ghosts to interfere with our relationship as we move forward in our lives and in our gen and and in the next generation with my grandchildren and so on. So so it's important to think about those things and to be really conscious about deciding how you want to handle them. So let's talk about some actionable takeaways. Learning the difference between a ghost and a trauma in your family from the past. 
ask questions, be curious, and learn your story. Because you have a narrative to your story, but somebody else in your family has the actual factual events of the story. And then there's a whole lot of feelings and opinions that float in between. So when you ask questions and you become the investigator of your life, you learn those things and then you get to put together your narrative that makes you you. Number two, acknowledge and learn about different people's experiences. Then ask why. Why might we see a situation differently? Or where is our common ground? There is nothing like I can't explain everybody's life experience. All I can do is learn from other people's life experiences and then find out how and where they're similar, where really we connect on our humanity. And so when you learn about somebody else's experience, feelings and emotions are universal. It doesn't matter what the event was, they come down to how you feel about that experience or how another person feels about whatever it is they experienced. And that's where people connect and relate. And that's what's so important. And what I mean when I say finding your common ground, finding your connected space with other people, when you share your narrative and your story, doesn't have to be the same. And it's better if it's different. Another actionable takeaway, and I cannot overemphasize this enough, is to seek professional support with a trained parent infant mental health provider. Ask for this by name so that people can learn more about it and it will become our standard of care, not just a subspecialty. So when I say that, you know, I will acknowledge, you know, therapy is, has been part of my life and part of my career. Not only am I a clinical psychologist who has provided emotional care for patients in the past, but I also seek out my own, I've sought out my own therapy and I have my own therapist, psychologist to date. Because when you do work with trauma, it is so important to self-care. When you are working even on your own self, trying to sort through your ghosts and your own traumas, getting professional support is really helpful in terms of creating, again, that narrative story and realizing that you are safe, you're worthy, you're loved, all the things that we all need and want to know and usually are true, but it's so hard to find by yourself. So shout out to my therapist who who helped me find my mantra around that as well, because nobody is immune from this. And what, what we really need to give ourselves credit for and begin to acknowledge is that Trauma is something that happens to us. Ghosts are things that happen to us, and they happen to other people as well. They're not because of us. It's not our fault that bad things may have happened to us. And so as soon as we can release the shame that comes from being a person who has experienced trauma, abuse, neglect, maybe death of a parent, imprisonment of a parent, 
uh, addiction of a parent, those sorts of things, of all the aces that are out there, then we can, again, connect with others who also have that shared experience. And we don't have to feel like the victim, quote unquote. You know, we instead can feel empowered by our experience and our story. So with that, I want to say again, happy 2021. I'm so excited as we jump off into this new year. We're going to have some dark days ahead of us, I'm afraid, with COVID-19. But there will also be lots of new opportunities that are unveiled, I believe, in 2021. So keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, and search for what makes you feel better and be a better person. With that, I want to say go out and leave a life print. I love you, and I can't wait to be with you next week. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life print. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Delusional Optimism brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership. We hope you're encouraged by Dr. B's message and find her tips helpful for managing life stressors and building a more resilient self. For more episodes in this special series, please visit St. Agnes Medical Center's website at www.samc.com. This episode is produced and published by the editing team at TruthWork Media. TruthWork Media is a full-fledged podcasting and social media agency located in South Bend, Indiana with clients all around the world. For more information, visit them at truthworkmedia.com. These materials and all discussions of these materials are for educational purposes only and do not constitute medical or mental health advice. The presenter is not a licensed mental health or medical service provider. If you need medical or mental health care or advice, you should contact your doctor or therapist, or you can contact your insurance company for a referral. This show and all of its contents are copyright 2020 Dr. B. Leave a Life Print. Reproduction or use requires written consent of Dr. Kristen Beasley.